All right. Welcome to another episode of Car Thoughts with David. I'm your host, as always, David Calvert. And with me on the line today, I have Amir Hussein, who is uh, calling in all the way from, you're in uh, the UK, is that correct? I am indeed, yes. All right. And today we're going to be talking about the uh, benefits and power of research and the relentless mindset. And if you'd like to go and introduce yourself, and uh, we'll get started, man. Super. Um, so yeah, I am Amir Hussain. I am a research associate at um, Dermopol University in the UK, and I am relentlessly interested in research, um, not just in my area, but research around the world. And I'm quite on a mission to help prevent the preventable. So those diseases that have a heavy lifestyle trigger, I believe um, research can really help, but also raising awareness about that type of research. So we'll go into that in due time. And within that, um, I kind of adopt a mindset of not just being continuous in what I'm doing, not just being consistent in what I'm doing, but being relentless in what I'm doing. And there's um, a really good reason why. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, we talked uh, quite at length uh, the other mm-hmm. day when we were talking on the, on the line. And, uh, you know, I mean, it just... Um, you know, like you were saying, uh, you know, uh, research is so important and, and continuing research is so important because all the technological advances, the medical advances, all of these things that we come to know as like commonplace day to day items, like the very electronic devices we're talking mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. to to do this uh, come from research. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, even from the basic things for like the chair I'm sitting on um, to the iPad that I'm Skyping on, you know, from the basics to the most complex comes from a reiteration of trial and error, designing something new, and that's all part of research. So from the medications people um, sometimes take to the foods that people eat, you know, even the way aisles are made in the supermarket to the wheels in the car, to the road that the car's on, everything comes from research. So I believe it's not just um, something in life, I think it's really integral to life and, and the development of, of us. So especially from the, the health science point of view, which is obviously my area, I've seen a lot of advancements even before I did my PhD and even afterwards. Within those four years, I saw a massive advancement in the field that I was working in. And obviously with that, the field of science in general, you know, where's it gone? If you think about the phones that we have nowadays, when it first started to those big bricks and briefcases to now you know um smartphones having more power than some laptops you know that's all for research there's also from let's say farming and agriculture to arts and to business and management how people do businesses they're all constructed um, so i believe that it's, it's also useful to do research of course but i believe there's a gap in terms of raising awareness and engaging with the public which i feel is my mission to try to do Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, that, I feel like that's something that's really starting to come into focus in a lot of ways. Is mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people would try to go into certain fields when they go to school, but you know, you didn't really have that real like, oh, I want to be a scientist and I want to research, or I want to go into a doctorate program and and research about this or that. And it's kind of becoming more of a popular thing, you know. You, definitely, you, definitely. You, yeah. you hear about these, the like, for instance, one show that's you know it's about over, but it ran for a long time, The Big Bang theory a lot of people never really thought about like research like that and they kind of brought it into more of a pop culture stage and uh you know so that people are thinking about stuff like that and kind of in a way made it cool because you know that's something that you never run you know a lot of people are like i remember when i was growing up everyone's like yeah going to going to computers or or nursing Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. they'll they'll never run out of need for that but research is 
even more important because without that research, those two fields wouldn't really exist. Exactly, um, yeah. A lot place, of fields yeah. wouldn't exist, definitely, because of, because of research. I agree 100%. Um, even especially in, in the health, health science, the healthcare, the medicine um, area, you know, a lot of the, the research in terms of the type of new surgeries people do, the new intervention in terms of what happens in the hospital or how a, a paramedic is trained, that comes from research that happens with our university or institute to try and improve care or increase the speed of something or increase the efficacy of something. Um, it, it, comes from, it comes from definitely from research. So I do believe they're like, you can say that they're like the founding field um, from everything, whether it's to law, to business, to, to um, um, medicine and sciences is what my area is. It's research is absolutely paramount in, in, in my importance. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean one of the videos that I that I saw that you had actually mentioned to me about as well that you did, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was really cool because it's mm -hmm. it's kind of really eye opening to think about is when you were talking about uh, the difference between. Um, water and liquid nitrogen and yeah. not being able to tell the difference between the two before until you do the research because you mm -hmm, know if, mm -hmm. if they're in the right circumstances they look alike they smell alike they you know feel alike you know um, exactly exactly definitely um and i i believe a lot of um, the reason why i'm actually on linkedin is to try and uh, bridge that gap so when i was doing my PhD, i thankfully won um, awards on speaking about my research to the public audience and funny enough, what I realized was, and those who were examining me for the poster competition or the oral presentation, they were from business, they were from law, so they had no science background. And they actually got really, really engaged with what I was talking about. And I didn't talk about it in the fancy scientific terminology, but it's in a simple way that they could understand. And they wanted to ask more and more questions. You know, Again, these are people not from a science background. They haven't heard of um, angiogenesis or anti-angiogenic therapy, and these are all the fancy scientific terms. But when I mentioned it in the terms of, you know, tumors need a blood supply and that blood supply shouldn't be there in the first place, so they're abnormal. And there are certain therapies looking to try and stop those blood vessels from forming. You know, speaking this simple language, they were really engaged. They want to ask um, all, all bunch of questions that probably I don't even get asked from actual scientists. So then it dawned on me when, when I finished my PhD last year, uh, this gap between research and public engagement is still apparent. And... I believe not just me, but there's many researchers around the world, far better than I am, in the sense of bridging that gap. So, you know, talking about that research in a way that everybody else can understand. So then they can get interested, engaged, they can actually learn about something quite simple. So I made it my mission, especially on LinkedIn, to try and do videos like that, where I relate a complex form that somebody has never heard of and related to everyday life. You know, and bringing that research in a really interesting way so people can think about, oh yeah, that's actually quite interesting. Oh, oh wow, I didn't think of that. I kind of live for those um, light bulb moments you know, um, when I'm doing these videos. And I want to help encourage other researchers to do the same. So I'm hoping to do like, interviews with researchers and as like a type of podcast for them to do, where I get to interview researchers and they share their research in a conversation in a way that the public can understand. Um, so I feel that would help to close the gap between research that happens at university and ultimately what the research is intended for, which is the public. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that would be super beneficial because, you know, I think that's what really needs to happen because there's been so much more interest in these fields that, you know, most people couldn't even spell. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, and they're like, yeah. I'm not even sure what that is. But when mm -hmm. people start talking about them in like everyday terms, 
you know, mm-hmm. you start seeing these, these, you know, things, because I think a lot of people, they don't go into research fields or, or science because they think it's beyond their reach. They think it's, I'll never understand that. But if someone like you comes along and says, well, you know, this is what you're into. Okay. Let me, can, let me explain what I do in terms you understand and then now all of a sudden you're like wow yes i want to go to school and do exactly that because that sounds super cool and uh yeah i think that's funny enough um what you just said is it's actually happened quite often um with uh when i mentioned into either primary schools or even people at university who have just started their undergraduate degree you know they haven't heard about research that much but then we may be pursuing something quite um simplified in the sense of their undergraduate degree so when I dawn on them in the sense of, you know, this is uh, the research they ask, um, they're like, oh, wow, I've never heard of that. That's really, really interesting. And they, they want to pursue a career in research just from my initial conversation or conversation of other researchers. And when it made me realize that more people actually want to do research, but nobody gets to talk to them, as you just mentioned, in a way that they understand. And you, you mentioned something quite interesting in the sense of some people... They are hesitant to go into research because they don't think it's um, they may not they don't feel that they're not clever enough or they don't feel that it's it's possible for them to do something like that or a PhD. I wanted to let even like the viewers know that when I was in my teenagers, um, I actually struggled with speech and listening difficulties. So what it was, uh, I had a lot of social anxiety, I had very low self-esteem, very low um, self-confidence because I couldn't really talk properly. So and I didn't I didn't feel I was that smart. You know, um, and through things that I, I hope to talk about is changing the perspective, understanding that it could have been that I couldn't talk at all. That was one perspective somebody could have, and, and I tried to have that. Even though I find it difficult to speak at that time, it could have been that I would have been mute when I was born. So I had to try and see aspects of gratefulness in, in that situation. And when I tried to change the perspective when I started my undergraduate degree, I started to realize there's more to me than just doing a degree and getting a job. I felt that there's more that I could do. I used to love thinking, I used to love puzzles, and I didn't want barriers in front of me in the sense of speech barriers. So one of the biggest moments in my life, um, especially both research and the idea of being millennials, came from when I was given a very rare opportunity to deliver a lecture uh, whilst I was still in my undergraduate degree to the year below me. Now, this is an opportunity that doesn't, very ha- doesn't happen very often at university. The only reason that the academic gave me that chance was he saw how driven I was how passionate I was. I may not have had the skill set at the time, but he saw the drive that he knew that if I was to give him this opportunity, he wouldn't mess it up. And I practiced that lecture over 60 times before I gave. And my first ever lecture was completely out of my comfort zone, you know, in, in front of 200 people. I've never given a lecture before. But I was determined to try and change my situation, try and change the perspective, and try and understand what is it I'm truly capable of. And when I finished that lecture, my great, I've started to realize my greatest weakness at one point now became biggest strength. Because once I finished that lecture, the person who was observing me was amazed to the point where she didn't think that I was an academic. She thought I was just somebody, a visiting professor or something like that. She didn't think I was a student. So that was the biggest compliment I had at that time. And that opened the doors for me in terms of teaching. And then now I'm um, doing speaker tours around the UK on, on my research and, and um, the idea of being relentless. And obviously now doing LinkedIn videos and now even more so being on a podcast. So my biggest weakness became my greatest strength. And that's one of the underpinnings as to why I adopted this relentless mindset, which I'll come to in a minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's I mean, that's what it 
what it takes. You know, you you said, okay, I'm not going to let this beat me. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to be relentless at it, and, and uh, you know, and and keep going. And you know, I mean, that's that's what it takes a lot of times is just pushing mm-hmm, through that mm-hmm. barrier. A lot of people, Definitely. they're like, oh, I, I don't know if I could do that. But when you sit down, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to do it, no matter what it takes. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to just focus on this and do it. You know, people can do amazing things that they never mm-hmm, would have mm-hmm. thought they could do just simply by just going out there and doing them and not waiting for somebody to give them permission or not, exactly. not waiting for the world to decide whether they can or not. Exactly. I, I, one um, kind of motto that I think we discussed um, um, last time that really hit me when I was going through this journey from end of undergraduate to start a PhD. And it was this concept of we all have a potential that far exceeds what our minds can imagine. What we lack is the belief that we have it and the desire to utilize it. I didn't know I had the potential to go from having such speech impediment when I was younger to now delivering lectures across the UK to um, hundreds of audiences and doing LinkedIn videos nearly every day. The potential was there, but the belief wasn't there at the time. And because there was no belief, there was no desire to utilize it. So I had to get out of my comfort zone to test myself. So the idea of introspection, self-awareness came in. But I wanted to see, okay, let me see what I can do. And then if it doesn't work, then I know that I tried my best and I did everything I could. So I can take that off in terms of process of elimination. It could have been that the lecture went really badly. Then I know, okay, lecturing or teaching is not my, potentially my area. But because I practiced so hard, I removed that idea that, oh, um, maybe I didn't do my best. I made sure I did everything I could possibly do. And you kind of, as they say in sports, you leave everything on the court. You leave everything on the field. You make sure that you, there was no ounce of energy you didn't leave, um, you didn't use. So that's what came about in the sense of I had to believe, first of all, in order for anything else, so any action, any thought process, I had to believe myself first and foremost. And then once I had that, the desire came to utilize it. And then I started to realize that I my potential. You know, the idea of something that was once a weakness is now an, an incredible strength of mine. And I want to make sure I can use it and also inspire others to introspect themselves and also understand that look, there may be something that you may not be great at the moment or you may think that I could do better. You have no idea what that thing could be in five years' time. You know, I'm now thankfully finished a PhD. I've been teaching in university for such a long time. That's five years before I was like, how am I going to even do anything after my first degree? Um, so it puts into perspective the idea of potential and how somebody can harness it. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's that's a that's the thing. I mean, it's you know you go out there and um, you know I mean like one of my favorite quotes of all time is actually from uh, Arthur C. Clarke, and mm-hmm. you know he said um, the only way to discover what's possible or what you're what you're capable of is to go out into the impossible and do things and then find out like if it was really impossible and and yeah i mean what you said you know just studying and practicing and going Mm -hmm. out there and making sure because i mean there is no shame whatsoever if you've put every single ounce of effort into it and you know that you nailed it and you know like you said maybe speaking Mm -hmm. wasn't for you or uh, doing the lecture Mm -hmm. you know if you would if you if they would have not been impressed you would have known you did absolutely everything you could do and that wasn't for you so it's time to try the next thing but it turned out it was so Yeah. yeah i mean and that's the thing i'm i'm all about is you know definitely going out there and saying hey i don't know how to do this i want to mm-hmm. figure it out and uh yeah. you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do all the research i'm gonna know absolutely everything i can to know about this 
And if I fail, it's not because I didn't try. So there's there's no shame in that. I, mean, I exactly. can walk away with my head held high. Okay, move on to the next thing. And yeah. I feel that there's a sense of kind of liberation in, in the sense that when you embark on something, a new, a new say, task or a new objective, a new aim, and you make sure you put everything you can possibly put in, you can leave either two ways, that it's gone well or it hasn't, but you know that you've done your end, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I, when I embarked on doing a PhD, you know, I had no research experience before. I was going into one of the hardest fields to study in, 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 in the idea of pharmacology and medicinal chemistry, all of these really cool um, scientific terms. I was like, how am I going to do all of this? But I had to change the perspective. So I said, no, it's, it's a gift that I've been able or granted a chance to do a PhD. I am not going to waste it. You know, it's changing that perspective in every situation that you have. And the reason why I find this really powerful is um, when I got to do, when I got positioned to do my PhD, I didn't get paid to do my PhD. So I didn't get a fully funded scholarship to do mine. Now, for those who know about research, they know that most PhDs are fully funded. So the university will pay for your fees to do the PhD and they will pay you to do the work because obviously it's kind of like a job. So to put into perspective, most many people get a fully funded scholarship. I didn't. I had um, research supervisors who then stopped doing research. I then wasn't a part of a research group when most PhD students was. And most PhDs are like a ready-made project and you go as a student to do it. I designed the research myself. So everything that would make a PhD difficult, I had. So had, you can say that I had the stats against me. You know, um, I had to work on different many jobs throughout my PhD. You know, I had to try and look after myself in that sense. I was learning a new field at the time. So... You know, sometimes research life isn't isn't ideal. It's not great, but you have to thrive through it. But the analogy that I try to keep myself with was sometimes when you're trying to purify gold, you have to heat it up to extreme temperatures to remove the impurities. So I saw this difficulty as a way to enhance myself, develop myself, if I was to go through that difficulty. Because I would come out the other end more confident, more stronger, more resilient, uh, more efficient. Uh, even bigger stamina in terms of doing work for 12 hours, 7 days a week I knew that there was a benefit going through the struggle, so that's kind of that relentless mindset that started to develop, but what for me personally drives me now to do everything that I do, to put in perspective now I'm looking after 6 different research projects at the university, I'm doing a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, I've set up a foundation um, called the Foundation for Preventive Medicine and Awareness to try and bridge that gap, as I mentioned. I'm working with primary schools, I'm looking at um, you know, interviewing researchers. So there's a lot that I'm doing at the moment, but I feel there's more I could do because my mindset isn't that, oh no, I may be overburdened. My mindset is what else can I do to try and develop this idea? So to bring it all back to actually home, me being relentless comes from the notion of being truly grateful. Now, I wanted to explain this. Um, for, I reminded for myself and to try and maybe help um, others. When, you, when somebody is grateful, they can say thank you, thank you for something. Um, whether they feel what they have is a blessed gift or they feel that it's an innate ability, they may be saying, oh, thank you, I've got this. And then maybe somebody else can, can actually really, really appreciate it. You can say that's the second form or the, the higher level of gratefulness. Or somebody you know, really, truly appreciates that somebody has given them something or they feel that they've been blessed with something. But then I feel there's, there's a level even higher than that. And that is the truest form of gratefulness whereby you maximize what you have to the best of your ability. And then somebody might ask, okay, how do you manifest that practically? Is the notion of being relentless. Then you're not just continuous, you're not just consistent. You don't let up, you don't put you don't let your um, foot off the pedal. You are on the go, you're constant, you're relentless. And that's where this state of mind comes in. Now, 
it's not just being relentless in, in just your work or your sports activities or your business. It's being relentless in looking after yourself. It's being relentless in being there for your family and friends. It's being relentless in making time for others. It's being relentless to make sure you're in good physical condition. It's a state of mind. It's not just um, one isolated angle. Um, so when I started to develop this, I realized that for me personally, it is an injustice to be anything less than relentless. And the reason why is everything I feel I have is a gift. Um, I should be grateful because there's many people around the world who see my life as priority. You know, there's many people who don't have a house to live in. They don't have water to drink um, that's coming out of a tap. They don't have a car to drive. They've never seen a car before. They don't have footwear. And I'm sitting here, you know, um, enjoying X, Y, and Z things, you know. And I realize that when I see that, it is an injustice for me not to do everything I can possibly can with the abilities that I have, the skill set that I have, and the environment that I have. And that's where the kind of the state of mind of being relentless came about. And I want to use that in the forms of research. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's really... Honestly, a, a huge point, part of it, because, you know, like like you said, you know, being being grateful, taking the gifts you have and using them, you know, the, the skills that you've acquired and mm-hmm. actually applying them and saying, you know, that's like saying thank you back to the universe. Exactly. Like, hey, exactly. hey yeah. you know, I, I have this ability to do this or I can think through this type of problem or I can play this instrument or this mm-hmm. sport or whatever it is and going out there and using it and not just sitting there back like, yeah, well, you know, I could be this or that, but, you know, I'm just, you know, I've got better things to do like watching this television channel or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And funny enough, when you mentioned that, um, the day after I, I thankfully finished my PhD, um, I realized that another kind of saying, there's, there's a lot of things that I, I remember and I kind of live by that keep me going. And another one is, I'm always grateful for what I have, but I'm never satisfied with what I can achieve. And the day after my PhD, I genuinely said, what is next? I was incredibly grateful for the journey that I went through, all the, all the pain that I had to go through and all the stuff that I learned and, and the experiences that I gained and then the support for my family and my friends. But then I realized that the PUC now is finished. I serve this purpose. What is next? And the reason why I say this is that it helps to counteract the idea of being egotistical, arrogance falling in, being complacent, getting lazy. Because somebody could sit back and do all those trials and say that, <clears throat> oh, great. That's it, I've done my PhD now. That's it. I'm, 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 you can say I'm chilling, I'm relaxing. But I didn't want to fall prey to that, you know, lazy or that complacency mindset. And that's where this idea of, of a state of mind of being relentless came in. So I said, right, what's next? What do I need to do next? What's the next part of the journey? What's the next part of the goal or the aims that I have? You know, so I'm not waiting around. I'm not sitting around and saying, okay, I'll start it tomorrow. No, what's next? And with this relentless mindset, I made time for my family in the sense of, you know, even now to celebrate, I made time for myself. But this idea of not wasting a second, not wasting an opportunity, not wasting time. Because again, time is incredibly precious. And there's somebody else who would love to be in my position who could, maybe could do it better. Because they're even more grateful than I am. So I think to do justice to myself and justice to the situation that I'm thankfully in. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for sure, because I mean, none of us, we all have a we all have a, an end date and time mm-hmm. to our to our journey. Of course, um, of course. But at the same time, until you reach that period, it's still a journey, which means it doesn't stop. There's not a, oh, well, I've got this, so I'm, I'm set. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. always something mm-hmm. else you can learn. I mean, you know, I know 
I've always been very curious and I, I was like, I'm going to try and write a book or I'm going to try and do this. And I'm like, okay, I've done this now. Let's okay. What's this? And, you know, just trying to come up with different ideas to just keep, keep life interesting. I feel like if you were to stop life would be so boring. Boring. And and yeah, so I want to, I want to find that new challenge, that new thing Mm -hmm. that excites me and and drives me. And, uh, you know, and, and that's, uh, you know, I think that's the way, you know, that, that relentless mindset is really the way to go because you've always got something that's like new and exciting. You're exactly. like, okay, what's, what's next? What's around that next corner? You know, what's around that next bend? What's over that hill? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's about also developing in life. You know, um, we, we grow up, we learn new things, we explore new things, we uh, embark on new experiences and that never dies. You know, sometimes, um, life hits us, and a lot of people potentially may stay in that state of whether it's anxious or being you know, really down. But there's so much that we can enjoy and learn from. And for me, I'm very inquisitive by nature in the sense of I love to understand how things work. I mean, that's actually why I'm in, I'm in research. And why I like to do videos on new things that I'm not an expert in, but I'd love to understand and then maybe share it in a simplified way. Because I'm in research, I, I understand the language, you know, all of these fancy terms, or, or you can say the words that people can't, can't spell. It's something that I'm, I'm used to day in, day out. But I want other people to have the same feeling I have in the sense of, that's actually really cool, but that person may not be able to understand it. So let me simplify it for them. Let me change the, the language so then they can understand. And then they can get that same feeling I have whenever I read a new research article, I read a new um, type of research that's happening, not even just in my field, even in the field of maybe engineering and physics. Um, you know, there's so much really cool things that people see on the news that you know, sometimes a new breakthrough. And people, I'm actually, they really want to learn more. So I feel a part of my relentless mindset, but more importantly, a part of my goals in life now is to help convey research in, in a way other people can understand and also to change the narrative of research culture, you know, uh, because research, in my opinion, is actually really, really cool. And a lot of both, both kids and adults want to want to taste of it. They want to, um, you know, understand a bit more. And I feel... It's now part, part of my work, yes, is doing research in the laboratory, but I also feel now a big chunk of my life is to try and change that narrative and bridge that gap between public engagement and, 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 and research. That's why I set up that foundation, because the research I'm very interested in that I want to make sure um, I do discuss is there's an idea of combative medicine and preventive medicine. So where appropriate, it's far better to prevent a disease from happening in the first place than combat it. You know, you've got ideas of, of drug industries where sometimes drugs are actually of use. You can say in, in the idea of, of monoclonal antibodies, so these are like a very fancy type of, of drug that are actually shown a really good promise for, for cancer, for rheumatoid arthritis, for um, certain forms of severe asthma. And I learned this through my PhD, but what I realized, I think a lot of people also echo the same uh, discussion, is there's too much reliance on using medication. There's too much reliance on therapies whereby... There should be an increased awareness, an increased drive to try and prevent certain diseases from happening in the first place. And there's still not enough research being done in that remit. And I want to help to try and accelerate that and improve that and help other people to collaborate with each other to try and improve the idea of preventing a disease. If that's early early detection of a disease, is that improving the lifestyle of somebody, is it improving the mindset of somebody, is improving the community, the environment where people work, is improving the NHS, i.e. in the UK, these are all components of trying to prevent disease from actually occurring in the first place. But the, um, the issue is there is change now in, you could say, the UK health system. They're now all thinking about preventive medicine, which is actually really useful. But obviously, I'm not sure what happens in America and even other parts in the Western world. But 
the narrative needs to be improved. It's still starting to change. I've seen it in research, but there's more that could be done, you know. And I feel a lot of people would agree that I would rather not take medication if I can prevent disease from occurring in the first place without changing much quality of my life. You know? What I do want to stress is when a lot of people think about that, they think that, oh, that means I can't eat any, you know, fish and chips, I can't have any chocolate, um, I can't go I can't go out, I can't sit and watch TV, I have to make, do exercise all the time. It's, there's a balance to it, you know, stuff in moderation and making sure you're looking after your health every single day. That's something very simple everybody can do. But what I want to do that's, that's needed is to share the research that's actually, actually happening in terms of, let's say, biochemically, what's happening in, in the body. And, and why is this form? So I, the, the series of LinkedIn videos I'm doing at the moment, it's about the fun facts about fasting and sharing the research about why certain forms of fasting is actually really beneficial for you. And sharing the research as to what's happening in the body. So you can say this hormone is improving, or sorry, changing. Um, these proteins are being um, you know, upregulated and they are really useful for X, Y, and Z. And a lot of people really, really engage with that. So I want to do that as much as I can, where I can, with as much research as I can. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's super important because what you're teaching is is if I feel like a lot of times people just think, oh, you know, like I have to do this, or like you were saying, you know, I have to stop mm-hmm. eating chocolate, or I have to, you know, diet, or I have to exercise all the time, or I have to do this, or I have to give up this, or whatever. You know, there's all these different things that like they have to do, but I feel like in a lot of ways, if people actually understand what it's doing and why mm-hmm. it's doing it exactly. they're more willing to do it instead of sitting there like ah, i wish i could eat a piece of chocolate right now but if they understood like well i've already ate like three pounds of chocolate this month so maybe <laughs> I, you know if i eat one you know if i eat one more bar of chocolate it's it's going to do this to me you know, it's going to cause exactly, this and yeah. my sugar level is going to go here and then i'm going to be you know this and if they actually understand the why they shouldn't do it there are people are a lot more yeah, because the first thing you do when you, you sit a kid down, you're like, don't touch that. The oh, first thing they want to do yeah, is exactly, go touch yeah. that. Exactly. But if they know why, like, if you touch that, that's a $1 million vase. And if it falls yeah. over and breaks, mm-hmm. you know, that's exactly. a, that's a million dollars. They would like, okay, yeah, I probably don't need to break that. That's a lot. Of, that sounds like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, so it, yeah. So, why. Yeah. yeah. I agree. It's, it's all about that. And there's, um, as we mentioned uh, just earlier, that, that why is sometimes in the complex language that people can't extract and, and, and yeah. learn from. So I, I believe that you know, we have these incredible professors who now, you know, are pioneers of, of their research and, and they are needed. You know, A lot of breakthroughs come from those people who are dedicated to the research for many years. But I feel that there's that kind of gap in, in between, there's that kind of intermediary where I feel part of my research should be, is, is going to be in, whereby we translate that really complex, crazy research that happens in the laboratory, and you're trying to simplify it to help you understand this is actually why X, Y, and Z are really important. And then related to something everyday life so then they can remember, you know. Um, you mentioned about the water, liquid nitrogen. I've mentioned about um, and many other analogies whereby you can think of um, a cell, so a biological cell, it has the same characteristics as the entire city. So you think of a cell, it has an energy center where, you know, you could say ATP, so you could say that the energy um, needed for a cell is actually made. In the city, you've got power plants, you've got, you know, electric power stations, and that's providing electricity or energy for the rest of, you've got a gas stations, sorry, and they provide energy for the rest of the city. You know, in, in, a, in a cell, you've got the DNA, you've got the nucleus, whereby all the instructions basically are being manufactured in that nucleus, and then certain proteins are sent out to do those things. In a city, you've got the government, you've got the council, which by many of the instructions are coming from, and you've got, let's say, the Royal Mail in, in the UK, and the Postal Service. 
and our cell actually has a postal service whereby certain proteins are packaged in, in something and it's delivered to different parts of the cell so it can do its function. So without realizing, you can learn a lot about a biological cell just by looking around what's entire, inside the entire city. And then having these analogies make people to think that, oh yeah, actually, that's actually really interesting. And then they remember it even more so. So I believe that needs to happen even more. And I'm hoping I can do exactly that. And be on LinkedIn and on the platform, we're hoping, you know, most people talk to you on, on that concept. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's great, certainly great work that you're doing. And, and I, I'm, I'm expecting to see this influx of other researchers when they start catching on to what you're doing, like, like saying, huh, if I speak in English and, and, and break, break this down for people, they're getting really interested in this. And so we could accelerate this whole program exactly. uh, by, by bringing it to the people. So you're I feel like you're almost like a like a. a the, the tip of the sphere or a pioneer in this in this uh, bringing the research down to to you know the people that, that find it fascinating but they're like mm -hmm. i don't speak the language it's like going to another country and you're like i exactly I, it sounds beautiful what you're saying but i have no idea what you just <laughs> said you might have thanked me or you might have cursed me out i don't know <laughs> exactly, yeah. but do you know what the, the, the remarkable thing that i feel is is, is quite important is we learn from each other. So, for example, somebody who is like so in a business, they may speak in a language I don't understand. So it's not that nobody's higher than the other. Just because somebody does research yes. or is a professor in something, doesn't mean they're higher or better than anybody. Because there's stuff about business, stuff about entrepreneurship that I don't know nothing about. You know, I may know about human juice, angiogenesis, and all of these, you know, uh, vegetation, uh, all of these fancy terms that I could talk about. But there's other things that I don't know that I can learn from somebody else. And if they speak it in a language that I can understand, <clears throat> and yep. I can speak about research in a language they can understand. So I believe that I hope other, like you said, other researchers help because what it does also is it helps for collaborations. You know, research is all about also working together for a common goal. And now that social media is, is exploded, in, even in the form of research, where a lot of professors now are on, on LinkedIn, a lot of research is being disseminated on social media because of the change in, in research form. So then there's actually increases in collaborations because maybe people meet on social media. They're from different universities, from around the world, but they all do something similar and then they can converse. So if more of this happens via social media, which is what I aim to do, the more it helps the research awareness, the more it helps the research collaborations, and also the more it helps research output. You know, um, So I want to help, help see change um, research culture. I think it's really cool, research, and I want other people to try and also see that through my eyes as well. Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, I, I've just from our just uh, our two conversations, and then some of the videos I've watched, I've learned so much uh, about stuff or different perspectives to look at things, and and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's really fascinating, and uh, you know, and, and like you said, you know, everybody's got their area of expertise, but it's mm -hmm. at the end of the day, what it boils down is to communication and and exactly. and, and, exactly. and bringing bringing things to a person in a in a way they can understand and. And then they, you know, they, and then once you have that, that bridge built, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're able to then, you know, work together and collaborate, like you said. A hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. No, and sometimes it's not, um, some people do find it difficult to, you know, change the, the change the language, let's say, you know, sometimes some people find it quite difficult to simplify it down. So there are people out there who, who have that, let's say, that ability, you know, to have that, that potential talent. And I feel that those people, you know, need to maximize that talent even more so because then it benefits other people. You know, um, everybody works in a different way. Something that obviously we have different strengths as, as we um, 
iterated earlier. So a lot of people need to introspect and identify what is it the skills that I have, you know. And to put it in perspective, I looked at myself when I was doing my PhD and realized, you know, speaking is actually not really the strength of mine. You know, thinking and articulating something in simple language is something I find quite naturally to do. So I mean, I need to maximize it. You know, somebody else might be um, good at number crunching. So how can they maximize it? Somebody is an incredible sports athlete and they find it quite natural to perform some type of technique if they're a gymnast or if they're a tennis player or a footballer. And they can help also within their, um, their goals of um, getting further in their sport. They can also help to try and show, you know, this is how I do things. This is why I find it quite easy and help. This is how you can potentially do it. You know, and it kind of, the, when you go up in life, you make sure you, you put your hand down so you can help other, other people. That's something that needs to happen in the realm of research. And it's not often talked about because the narrative, you know, currently is changing. It's currently is academics do research in, in university, they publish papers and then that's it. You know, there's some aspects of public engagement potentially. And there are universities and academics who are in, um, using it, but more needs to be done whereby a lot of people understand what's happening at a university. There's a lot more public engagement. There's a lot more to and fro, you know, a lot of audiences or, or public who the research is going to benefit. They have a voice and they can understand what's actually happening. Because a lot of times, you know, not even being arrogant, sometimes the best ideas come from people who are not in that area. You know, um, sometimes they can think of something outside the box that professors or research don't think of and say, oh, actually, yeah, that could be a really interesting view. You know? um, so that culture um, can, can be incredibly, incredibly important for the world to research and also for the public um, and themselves. So I look forward to trying to help in that process and hopefully to see many more people come along on, on the journey um, across the world, I hope. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely, for sure. I mean, yeah, because it's, it's really fascinating. And, and like I said, I've, I've definitely learned a lot. But, uh, I mean, I, and what you're doing, you know, going out there, branching out, videos, LinkedIn, social media, uh, podcasts, and all of this. And thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It's been, no, it's been an honor it's to have you on the show. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, I think it's, I think it's big, and it's, it's going to start a ripple effect, and, uh, you know, and, and we're going to see some, some massive change coming across the, uh, in the next few years and in many aspects of life. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I intend to do exactly that, I hope. Um, I, if, if it does um, cause a ripple effect, that's exactly what I um, hope will happen, uh, because at the end of the day, I never envisaged myself doing this. I envisage we doing it, you know, and this is either yourself and there's people around the world who also believe what I believe, you know, echoing of what Simon Sinek used to say, you know, leaders are people who then help others people to believe what they believe, you know, um, that's why so many leaders have incredible followings, because they're so tuned into that notion of, this is what I believe, and help other people um, gravitate towards that, you know, so there may be other researchers around the world that may listen to this podcast and realize that, you know, what, that needs to happen, let me, let me, just join forces, let's share ideas, and, you know, that's our whole idea of collaboration. You know, the reason why I did LinkedIn videos is to learn from other people. You know, I may know about this knowledge, but I want to hear somebody else's perspective from a business point of view, from a socio-economic point of view, from a fitness point of view. And this is how we can share and create new ideas. You know, um, so I hope you know me being as relentless as I am and being now dubbed on LinkedIn as the relentless researcher, which I find quite um, amusing, but also find it quite nice as a name. I want to live up to that name and help other people too. I'm that state of mind, you know, of the idea of being with in all walks of life. Fantastic. Oh, 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, so, um, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm sure probably everybody knows you're on LinkedIn by now. We've <laughs> talked about it quite, quite a bit. Uh, yeah. uh, where else can people find out about what you're doing, what you're working on, um, you know, to learn more about this relentless mindset or you as a person? Man? They can, you know, um, LinkedIn would um, without a doubt be the best form. Uh, people can um, email me uh, on ame at the fpma.com. Um, if you want to have more of a chat, you know, I'm welcome to have conversations with anybody because as you can see now, I can't stop talking. So I need more opportunities to use that. You know, I went from a time where I couldn't talk, couldn't really talk much. Now this mouth doesn't unfortunately stop. So I want to make sure I can use that as much as possible, where possible um, with people, you know. Um, so yeah, through LinkedIn, it would be um, the most ideal. Um, you can um, tune into the videos if you've got any comments. Um, if you've got any thoughts as well, you can, you know, um, drop me a message on, on LinkedIn or you can obviously email me. But um, I assume we'll be branching out on other forms, i.e. Instagram and Facebook. But for now, um, I'm all tuned in on LinkedIn. So yeah, that's where to find me. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, again, it has been an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on the show, man. No, it's I been really a really pleasure from my end. I'm <laughs> really chuffed to be on here and really honored um, to have a really, really cool conversation with you. Too. Definitely. Hey everybody, David here. Do you guys like science fiction? If so, I just released a novel. It's called Hurtling Toward a Home, A Story of Hope. It's set many hundreds of years in the future when Earth just couldn't support us anymore. We thought we had more time. We didn't take it seriously. We didn't listen to what was being said. And now we have to suddenly build ships and figure out a place to go, but where? So we decide to just go everywhere, to just send ships off in every direction that any scientist has ever said could potentially support human life. To give us the best chance of survival, we're going to try every planet. So we built ships and loaded supplies and robots on them and shipped them ahead to try and prepare and test the planets uh, to make sure that they were suitable as we were building our fleet to leave for our great exodus from Earth. This particular story follows one ship, the Hope, and one young man, Jonathan, as he's always dreamed of living this life of adventure from what he's seen from old Earth movies and read in novels. And he longs for that type of, of an adventure. He longs to set foot on a planet. And yet, he is not. But after his 16th birthday, he gets sent off on a secret mission and an adventure that he never thought he would ever be able to live. I am so excited to share this journey with you guys, and I thank you guys for checking it out. Again, Hurtling Towards a Home, a Story of Hope by David Calvert.